Welcome today to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. Our guest is Eric Maddox. And Eric played a very pivotal role in world history in December 2003 when he was part of a special forces unit of the American military that found Saddam Hussein hiding in, if you know the history, in an infamous spider hole in Iraq. Eric was part of the team that interrogated, interviewed, asked questions of, of, of Iraqi prisoners who knew where Saddam Hussein was located, where he was hiding. And Eric was able to build trust with those prisoners, these were considered enemies of the United States, and get the answers that were needed in order to find the perhaps the most notorious, notorious enemy that our country had, particularly at that time. So uh, we hope that you'll, well, we really hope that you'll be interested in his story today and what he has to share and um, what he has to say about listening because it's a, there's a lot of significance to what he's learned. Michael and I both had the chance to hear Eric lead a webinar a few weeks ago on this topic of empathy-based listening. So a lot of what he talks about today there might be some gaps for you. And so if you would like to learn more, we're going to CC a couple other podcast episodes that Eric has, has been on some other programs that might help fill in some of the gaps for you because you might have some extra questions. But nevertheless, so much of what Eric talked about today is about listening at a higher level, how to communicate more effectively. And he leads trainings uh, around the world for some top leaders so we think that there's so much here. And if you have any questions for us that you would like to learn more, don't hesitate to reach out to us because we would love to have a dialogue with you. Eric Maddox is a public speaker, author, and former special operations soldier for the United States. He was a member of a Delta Force special operations team in Tikrit, Iraq, that was part of the Joint Special Operations Command, responsible for tracking down the most wanted men in that country. During his six-month tour with the Delta Force team, Eric conducted over 300 interrogations and collected intelligence, which directly led to the capture of Saddam Hussein on December 13, 2003. Today... In addition to being an engaging public speaker about empathetic listening, Eric coaches people on listening at a higher level, as well as learning how to communicate more effectively, and he leads trainings on negotiating and dispute resolution. We hope you'll enjoy this episode. Eric, we welcome you to the Someone to Tell To podcast today. It's great to join in conversation with you. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate it. <laughs> so we recently attended a webinar where you were the featured speaker, mm-hmm. and your message was about the effective use of empathy-based listening. And just that phrase, empathy-based listening, in the words of Jerry Maguire, had us at hello. And that's exactly what we're all about. We have scores and scores of stories that we can tell about how someone to tell it to's practice of using empathy-based listening has changed others' lives in positive and vital ways. But you have a riveting story about that practice that we can't tell because it's your story. 
And uh, we'd love for you to tell our listeners about your story and, uh, sure. and so they can hear, hear more about you. I, my background is I was in the military and I was an interrogator. And in 2003, I was an interrogator on Delta Force team in Tikrit, Iraq. And our mission was to track down Saddam Hussein. My job as a trained interrogator was to gain cooperation, gain useful, accurate information from prisoners that were captured in the war zone. And as I started with this team, it was very obvious to me that everything I had taught as an interrogator was not going to be effective in gaining cooperation of the prisoners. Everything we were taught was, you know, prisoners who on a battlefield with a chain of command, you know who the enemy is. There's not this plausible deniability. In this war, the insurgent fighters were citizens. They had days, jobs during the day, and at night they fought. And when they were captured, everything that we were taught wasn't going to work because they had no reason to give up that information. We didn't really know enough about them that they looked obviously like they were lying and there was no benefit that we could really give them to confess, to give useful information. So as I continued, uh, you know, the first week I was with this team to fail in getting information using the old techniques, I said, I don't know how I'm going to get them to cooperate, but I've got to figure out who they are. And Tom, my, my initial process was, Hey, just listen to them, right? Like everybody says, hey, someone to listen to, someone to tell it to, someone, just that word listen. As I started to have these long conversations with these prisoners, they don't mind talking to you if you're not going to accuse them of things. You're not going to tell them they're going to spend the rest of their life in prison. But what I started to realize is it doesn't matter how much you hear about what somebody says. And that word listen was confusing because we can hear everything somebody says, but it's what we listen to. And so what I started to realize is it doesn't matter also whether or not you're fact-checking them. It doesn't matter if you're listening to someone so that you can try to have a, you know, your perspective to give them to say, hey, you can trust me. We should be partners. The only listening that mattered was listening to demonstrate that I'm seeking to understand what it means to you and most importantly, and that I don't currently. I don't know what it means to be you. I, I don't know, but I'm going to show you that I'm not making these preconceived notions, these biases, and I'm not going to be running with my agenda. And so as I was able to figure out, how does, what's that process? How do we do that efficiently? This amazing thing happened, Tom. I realized during that, you know, what I call empathy-based listening, it doesn't mean that we listen with empathy because that is almost impossible. We can't be somebody else. But the simple demonstration that I'm doing everything possible to seek to understand, and then when they do open up, you absorb that information so you do get a little bit of their insight. That's all somebody wants to know. Are you seeking to understand? what it means to me. And this amazing thing happens. There's no greater way to empower another individual than by demonstrating that you're seeking to understand them. That means you have to have the answer. That means you have to have solutions. You may not even have the power to, to, to fulfill their needs. But that demonstration is what empowers them 
to say, you know, I want to be a part of your team. And matter of fact, here's some more information that I think, Eric, we can work together. And as I developed this process, these prisoners opened up. They cooperated. Yes, we helped them. It it isn't a process that says, hey, once they give it to you, then use it against them. It was a simple understanding that everybody on the battlefield, you know, there's no Luke Skywalker and there's no Darth Vader. Everybody has goals. And if we truly will seek to understand somebody, the, the, the alliance of some of those goals, it's pretty easy. And through 300 interrogations, five months with this Delta Force team in Iraq, they took us directly to the path to track down Saddam. On December 13th, 2003, we captured the one guy that I believe knew the location of Saddam. I set him down in an hour and 45 minutes. The one guy who actually knew where Saddam was, the one person that he trusted to never, ever give up his location. He said, Eric, we got to go. We got to go right now. We'd connected. I didn't know where Saddam was. Quite honestly, I didn't even certain this guy actually did either. But it was the demonstration of seeking to understand this all-powerful, what he was a bodyguard of Saddam Hussein. He said, Eric, I want to take you. I want to take you. We The Delta Force team I was with that night, they went and they took this prisoner and they went to the location where they he said they would find Saddam. They couldn't find Saddam. They go to the vehicle, pull the prisoner out, and the, and the prisoner says, hey, come here, let me show here. He takes them around to the spider hole. He starts kicking up the sand. You know, people talk about cooperation and what it means to have trust. And the ultimate level of trust is when somebody says, yeah, I was a prisoner. I needed your help, Eric. But once I empowered that prisoner, the prisoner says, hey, guys, let me help you. Let me lead the way here because we all have value. Everybody has value. And when we empower others, they say, you trust me with my value. And then they start to take over and people say, hey, Eric. That's awesome. You you found Saddam. And I said, I, I didn't find anybody. I tracked him down through the empowerment of those who could help us and lead us to Saddam. You said something that we say all the time, that everyone has value. And we believe, and in the listening training work that we do, people will ask us, oh, tell me the top three things I have to do, that I have to do to listen better. And, and we reject that question out of hand right away. It, yes, there are things we can do to help, but it's, we think it starts with what you believe. And that belief is that everyone has value and that everyone wants to feel valued and heard. Yes. And, and that, that is just uh, at the core of, of what we do with, some, we, we do with someone to tell it to. And it's, you know, the number of times we have heard uh, from people, I've never told this to anyone else before. No one else knows this about me. You were the first two to ever hear this about me. I mean, we, we've heard that so many times over the last 10 years that we've been doing this together. And it is about building trust and gaining trust, get, you know, having trust uh, among one another. And you've talked about that a lot too, that you, you walk, you gain trust by walking into someone else's world. Love that phrase. 
And we'd love for you to talk more about that, about how you walked into this prisoner's world. Uh, you know what that means, uh, and how how do you how did you do that, and how can we all of us as, as as human beings walk into someone else's world? Trust is the key. If we can all say building trust and being trusted—that's foundation of all relationships. I'm going to start here. There's a highest level of trust, and I need everyone to be clear on that. What do people typically look at when they think of trust? They say, I can be trusted. It says, I'm good at what I do, and I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. That means you can trust me. And I say, wait, 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 wait. You may be good at what you do, and you're going to do what you say you're going to do, but the person who's going to merge with you, partner you, whether it's just a friendship, a relationship, a business partnership, contractually or not, their first question is, I'll I don't care how good you are or whether you're going to do it. Are you going to do it for yourself or are you going to do it for me? Now, we try to build all these contracts. This is, oh, you have to do it for me. And here's your obligated, right? If we get married, we make these vows. But we also know people don't have to stick to that. So during the uh, preliminary discovery, if we're going to, partner with someone, or even if somebody calls you and says, can I trust you to talk to you? Can I trust you to tell you something I've never told anybody else before? All they're doing is going, I don't know. If you're going to make it about me, I'm going to see if you at least want to. I'm going to see if you discover. So how do we do this? Imagine this, everybody, each one of us, we're the lead in our own movies, right? Yesterday, I ran a half marathon. I want to throw that out there because I can barely walk right now. Check this out. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of people in this race. Each one of them is living their own movie. Each one of those people. Now, we guess what we all the rest of us are? We're supporting actors in their movie. And because each one of us is a lead in our own movies, each one of us is alone on our own stage. And if anybody's ever been to a run before, you know it's just a mob of humanity. It's fun. Everybody's great and nice. And, but nobody's on, the, on someone else's stage. Each one are leads in their own movie. They're alone on their own stage. And everybody else is supporting actors. But if we're going to trust, we're going to build trust. And that means we're going to actually share resources to have increased value. Somebody's got to walk on someone else's stage. And what we typically try to do is we want to live a world where we want people to come onto our stage, right? We, we convince them, hey, you got a problem. I'm going to sell you this. Come join this program. There's many self-help you know, hotlines or nonprofits like yourself, and they have the great intentions because they have counselors and they have programs and they've proven that they can help people. And somebody calls and says, I have a problem. And the person with the self-help group says, Oh, we can help you. Come over here and just get over here. Get over here, right? Guess what? Nobody wants to leave their stage. And the highest level of trust says, we are going to learn to demonstrate that we're seeking to understand them to walk on to their stage. And we say it's all about trust. So if you want to, somebody says to me, Eric, where do I begin? I see them. First thing you have to understand is all someone cares about. Are you going to walk on their stage? Or are you going to drag them onto theirs? 
Because I've told you guys this. I've done 2,700 interrogations. I've trained hundreds of thousands of business professionals. And my assessment that I feel very confident with is everybody wants two things. Two things, right? We want to make one. Number one, we want to make an impact, a difference in the world. We want to have a purpose, right? We want to have value. That gives us some level of control. What does that mean? We want people to come to our stage. Number two, everybody wants freedom. I don't like to be told what to do, right? I like to have my own money and my own house and, and freedom. This country was founded on freedom. You know what they want? They don't ever want to leave their stage. So we got a problem here. Everybody wants people to come to their stage. Nobody ever wants to leave their stage. Empathy-based listening says trust is everything. The highest level of trust says we are willingly, willingly going to leave our stage and walk onto theirs. So somebody says, how do we start this? I said, do you understand the stages? Do you understand when you're operating on your stage and you're dragging people over? Do you see this world of humanity that everybody, we can interact together? We're not on the same stage. Each one of us is on our own and everyone else is a supporting actor to their movie. And if that's the case, are you willing to learn to become the world's greatest supporting actor? I was overwhelmed when I saw a lot of runners running on behalf of others, they were running uh, for people with disabilities. These folks with disabilities would never be able to run a marathon and they were in their wheelchairs and these runners are running behind them. They're not there to set any records that day. They're solely there for these other folks. To me, that is such a appropriate illustration of somebody coming onto somebody else's stage and setting aside their own ego. Uh, it was, it was so encouraging to, to, to see that. I think we live in a world where we, we all struggle at times to come onto other people's stages, to set aside our own egos. And it's, it's a real problem. Uh, and we see this translated down to, to listening well, because listening well means that we're setting aside our own agendas, our own preconceived notions. So talk to us a little bit about why we see this problem in our world today of, of people not listening well. Those individuals who are wearing the shirts, they're on their stage. Their lead character is a servant. It doesn't mean walking off some, off your stage onto someone else's means it's not about you. Their lead role characteristics is good person, servant, charitable, nice, giving. They're still serving their character. Now, does that make it bad? People have that debate. Oh, they're just making themselves feel good about themselves. You know where we see it? If my lead role characteristic was runner, I'm a, I'm a half marathon runner. That's what I do, right? I'd bring it up like 12, 15 times in different aspects of different stories in this interview. Well, that's the first half marathon I've run in like 18 years. And I'm so sore, it's the only reason on my front of mind. <laughs> but I do have lead role characteristics. I mean, you can talk to somebody and in about five minutes go, they identify themselves as what? A, a Christian, uh, an accountant, 
a CEO, a dad, it just comes out of them. So let's be clear. If we can create an, a, a society in which everybody's lead role characteristics were fantastic, like those people who were wearing those shirts, it's selfless servant. But that is still their lead role. They have not left their stage. I know it sounds like I'm making this some negative. It's just what it is. Leaving your stage would be, what if somebody, as they're jogging along, went and pushed over one of those people on the wheelchair? You want to watch what they'll do? They'll lose their mind. They'll go beat them up. or like Because the person that they're identifying with, the person in the wheelchair, got mistreated, got harmed, got hurt, right? That is who they're going to defend. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with the lead role. But they still haven't left their stage. Leaving their stage would be doing something to the effect of going to the other person going, what is going on? Clearly, you're you're hurting. Like, leaving your stage is not something that feeds your role. You have that lead role, you know what, just stick with it. Your stage is awesome. You do the right thing. Why don't enough people do the right thing? We have so many lead roles. It's because of this. Fear. It's just fear. They're afraid they're not going to make enough money. They're afraid they're going to lose the deal. They're afraid that, you know, somebody's going to trip them in the run. And so they're real irritated that there's people jogging slow and, and on wheelchairs. Or they're afraid that the person who's on their cell phone texting in traffic is going to make somebody eventually have a wreck and die. And so they're, they get road rage, right? Like it's just fear of your lead role, of what's in your world. So if you look at like, why are people so upset and just losing their mind? And we think, man, our society's falling apart since the pandemic. It's because our world's changing and we don't know what it's going to look like. There's so many things we, we cannot answer. Somebody says, well, if you're an empathy-based listener, how do you function in a world that's changing? And I tell people, just understand, anytime you're going into a relationship, they are most likely scared. They're fearful. And you don't have to go in there and have answers for them. Because all they want to know is, you don't know what the future looks like. I don't know what the future looks like. But I'm going to fight through it from your perspective, from your stage. Fear. Uh, What a motivator it is. And I think uh, you're absolutely right that 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 fear has a plays a large impact on um, so many of the things we do or don't do. And uh, so, thanks for bringing that up because that uh, I think that's significant. You, Tom, alluded to this. Um, you believe that uh, we have a listening that there's a listening problem. How is that? You know, the, the, this this problem manifested. And what can we do to overcome it if we, if we are fearful? How do we get beyond our fears so that we can relate better to one another, we can listen better to one another, we can serve one another better, walk on one another's stage? I don't think we can ever address our, the emotion of fear. I think it would come down to what are we fearful of? So when we say, I, I, here's what creates anxiety, stress, anger. What are those things? Well, I don't know. I'm going to have my job. Um, 
I don't know if I'm going to, somebody's going to say something bad about me and it's going to mess up relationships. Like whatever causes fear, I really get mad at my children because they're not studying in school and they're, they're like, right. What's the true fear. I'm worried about how they're going to turn out when they grow up. And so I would say your fear is being caused on your priorities. What are your goals and objectives? And I say, don't forget the key two things we're trying to do. Influence, have an impact, make a difference, have a purpose. People come on our stage and freedom. You can look at all your goals and objectives. They're going to fall into one of those two. Now I'm going to say, what is the greatest impact you can actually have? What, what is the greatest? If somebody says, if I become the CEO of my country company and I become a billionaire, I'm like, I don't know that you've walked that path yet. Go down that road and tell me if that really is the answer. Well, like, you know, and then we get, we, you want to unfold. What are your passions? What are you passionate about? What were the things that mean the most to you? Where's your mind focus? And ultimately, they're going to say, I want to make the maximum positive influence on this planet during my time here. And then I say maximum positive influence comes from building the highest level of trust in all relationships. That's just it. Now, you choose who you have relationships with and partnering with them, whether or not their abilities, and but you can maximize your relationship. How do we do that? We walk on their stage. And we say, what are you fearful of if your job is empowering everybody in your world? And you say, well, that didn't give me any freedom. Now I'm on, Eric, I'm living my life just serving other people. And I said, but nobody wants to go onto your stage. The more influence, control mechanisms that we all have, you look at extreme measures, narcissists, right? But even subtly, people try to control things. And we say, nobody wants on your stage. So now, what are you afraid of? If you're afraid of death, maybe you ought to start looking at your faith. Do you have a faith? Where are you looking at that? Because if you cannot get that address, you're always going to be fearful. Is it about money? Is it about controlling your kids? What is it? Because we can't take away fear. But if our priorities are set and straight, then what we're fearful of, we can at least control to a degree, right? How do we control them? We know how to gain maximum impact and it gives us total freedom. Thank you for listening to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. Wonders Found Thrift Shop is proud to be one of its sponsors. Wonders Found is an all-volunteer run thrift shop begun to support our mission team as they rebuild homes in disaster areas. We support local missions, people experiencing homelessness, veterans, and children and youth outreaches. We also provide clothing and household items to families displaced by fire or flood. You can learn more at our website, wondersfound.org, or stop in to see what wonders you can find at 7810 Allentown Boulevard, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. Eric, you talk about 
how we can raise our listening percentage to 80% or higher if we pick up the breadcrumbs others drop. <laughs> Could you say a little bit more about what that means? If we want to talk about how we do build trust, uh, a lot of it has to do when the person's trying to figure out, are you making it about me, are you making it about you? Well, their measurement is list, watching you communicate with them. Are you listening to me? On average, we only listen about 25% of what we hear. People have heard all sorts of those low numbers. Well, it's the way our brains work. When somebody talks to us, we can actually hear five times faster than the average person can talk. So we can hear everything somebody says. We have 80% capacity. shouldn't be a problem. Tom, we discovered this thing. When it comes to listening, the human brain cannot multitask. So yes, we can hear everything somebody says, but we're not able to compartmentalize that 80% of, of capacity. So what do we fill it with? Anything we want, crazy stuff, just what I call listening distractions. And there are six categories of listening distractions. But for the most part, what we listen for and fill up that capacity are things that feed our lead role characteristic or things that threaten that lead role characteristic in order that we can rebuke them. We can persuade against the, uh, what the person's saying or that we listening to see if somebody supports our lead role and then we can encourage them to come to our stage. Right. That's sort of what we listen for. Now, what it realizes is like, wait a second, there's 80% capacity, tons of distractions. How do we remove those distractions? We have different little techniques, but the number one technique is taking advantage of the origin problem. And the problem is we cannot multitask when we listen. So what do we listen for? We listen for breadcrumbs. What are breadcrumbs? Keywords, terms, phrases that everybody drops in every sentence that basically says, in my movie, over here on my least stage, what I'm trying to figure out, are you making this about me or are you making it about you, right? What do breadcrumbs look like? There's some are super obvious. If anybody ever says, here's the deal, whatever comes out of their mouth next must be the only thing you listen to, right? Subtle breadcrumbs. Somebody might be talking about a, a business deal and they say, oh, that's a tricky situation. Tricky, tricky is a breadcrumb. Why? Because they're trying to figure out when, when they tell us it's a tricky situation, do we go, oh, yeah, I know that situation. It's not, it's, it's not as tricky as you think. Here's what you should do because I want to look good as my lead role. Or do we discover on that breadcrumb and say, tricky, what do you mean by tricky? So they dropped us a breadcrumb. We don't know what tricky means on their stage in their world. And they want to know, are you going to discover or are you going to make it about yourself? Because they can figure out real quick. You lead role in your movie or are you trying to be get on my stage? Because I want you on my stage. Now, think about this. Breadcrumbs come in 10 categories. Every time somebody makes a statement, they'll drop at least one breadcrumb. Like, what do you mean breadcrumbs? This is what the person speaking wants you to, to hear. This is what they want you to, what, discover, walk on their stage and not solve, which would be your stage. What's the core issue? We can't multitask when we listen. We got all these things going through our brain. But if all you're listening for is breadcrumbs, I can dial out all that stuff in your mind and go breadcrumbs, bread, just listen for breadcrumbs and do what? Discover on them. Why? Highest level of trust. You start with the highest level of trust. You're going to have a successful relationship. Eric, what were some of the breadcrumbs that these prisoners dropped for you? I hate to say it, but that would be like, Tell me about the shininess of some of the stars in the sky. I mean, they're everywhere. 
I think they literally are everywhere. So you know what? Let's just keep talking and I'll, I'll show you your breadcrumbs. Does that make sense? No, I'm going to put the pressure on you. Just talk normal, but I'll be like, okay, as I answer, I'll show you your breadcrumbs. Why don't you talk a little bit about Matthew and his disabilities? And you had previously run a marathon with yeah. Matthew. Yeah, actually, um, we talked a lot about the marathon today before uh, we got on this this call and what his experience was. But um, and but we didn't talk about what he what he just shared with you. Um, you know, together about the people who were um, uh, helping to push people with disabilities through through the marathon. I have a son who um, has uh, multiple disabilities, uh, very severe uh, intellectual disabilities and autism. And three times he has been in the Harrisburg Marathon, which was uh, just run usually the second weekend in uh, November. And um, there was an organization called Athletes Serving Athletes who, from based in Maryland, who that's what they do. They have these athletes who they go around to various marathons, half half marathons, 5Ks even, and um, help to, to allow people with disabilities who could never do something like this be in the marathon by, by pushing them in special wheelchairs. And um, the last time my, my son was uh, in that, I and one of his brothers, one of my, my middle son, we ran a leg of the marathon, the last, the finishing leg uh, with him, and we pushed him across the finish line. And it was, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was a thrill, tremendous thrill to be able to do that uh, with, with my son and, and his brother. And um, how, just how significant that was and meaningful it was that, that our son, who cannot participate in most things that most people can ever do, uh, was able to participate in this way and just absolutely loved the experience. And in fact, he, well, because it was a cold, you know, cold days when we did that, we, we had to have special clothes on him you know, to keep him warm because he wasn't exerting himself at all. Like the runners were, he was just along for the ride. So he was going to get cold and we had him bundled up very, very much and uh, very, very heavily, various layers on. And one of the things was he doesn't keep, because of some of his his disabilities he, and his uh, tactile defensiveness, he won't keep gloves on. So had to sew gloves to a sweatshirt that he was wearing, red gloves to a red sweatshirt. And um, we knew, he doesn't talk, but we knew that he loved being part of that marathon when for, in fact, years afterwards, and he still does this, wants to wear that same sweatshirt with the same gloves that are attached to it because it reminds him of something really special that he experienced. So um, I, I get talk forever about this, but I hope, I hope I've dropped some breadcrumbs there and see if uh, <laughs> there's some that you can pick up on. You know it's impactful. He cannot speak. What is it? What is it about the experience that means so much to Matthew? First of all, he loves what is called vestibular stimulation. He, need, he loves riding in anything, uh, you know, a car, a truck, a van, but also the chair. And he was, 
and roller coasters as well. We live near an amusement park, and I live in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and there's a, there's a big amusement park there. Um, and he loves to ride the roller coasters on. He just squeals and squeals with delight and claps his hands. Um, he has no fear. So he I mean, literally doesn't have fear in, the, in this right. regard. So he just, just adores riding them. And um, we think that, that one of the things that made that special, because he was for 26, 26 plus miles, he yeah. was in constant motion. And that, that stimulation was important to him. Secondly, the cheers of the crowd, especially at the end of the race where most people are gathered, uh, the, you know, the, the claps and the yells and the, and the, and the, and the you know, and, and the, all of that. He, he loves noise. And so that would have uh, been something that was impactful for him that he'd remember. And, and for a large number of our family, um, his grandparents and aunts and uncles and 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 some other friends would show up and and he likes you know the fact that he there are people there who he knew and recognized uh, cheering him on so I think you know uh, all of that and besides then he got special treats afterwards to eat and to drink which probably made a difference too um, so those are the, some of the things that we know um, made him just overjoyed. I mean. But I think the cool thing is, if you look at the things that stimulate Matthew to give him that happiness, I mean, yeah, you could go into a car, drive 26 miles, but then the cheers and the family and the treats, I mean... I don't know that you can find another opportunity other than this, like this setting, right? That marathon, that crowd, that family and the treats. I don't know how you replicate that. And it seems to me like the impact that it has, is it's, it's everything that checks the block. I don't know if there's a couple of more blocks that you can include there, but it seems like that's a perfect scenario that cannot occur without the volunteers. I couldn't run a marathon every week, <laughs> you know, and do that and push him. Um, uh, the seven or whatever miles I ran was, uh, you know, was had its own. It's hard enough, and uh, right. uh, pushing him. But um, yeah, absolutely. That's um, kind of a perfect storm, so to speak, of stimulation and and um, activity that, uh, that hard to replicate in any other in any other kind of way. Yeah. Well, Eric, our time's going to be winding down here soon. We, we have so much more we'd love to ask you, but just kind of playing off this idea of breadcrumbs, how, what are some ways that people can respond to others' breadcrumbs? Let me talk about what we just discussed in the last five minutes, okay? You told me that scenario of Matthew, right? Somebody well-intended could have said, that's such a great story, Tom. You know, I go to this men's retreat all the time and they've got this video they show this dad and he takes his son on these runs and it's, they have it to this emotional music and people love it. I, I, I just, I, it has made such an impact at these retreats to bring this encouragement and it's Christian retreat and blah, 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 right? Or you can say, you know, Tom, What's amazing is yesterday when I was at my half marathon, I saw so many people with the pictures of disabled people on the back of their shirt. And I didn't realize how cool it was, right? All that's fine. 
But which do you prefer? Which did you personally prefer? I go that direction or I ask you something about Matthew. Specifically, I said, what is it about the event that makes him love it so much? There's just a, maybe, maybe you would prefer to hear my story of all this stuff that I did with that. Cause you launched it. You, you gave me some, some food for my past. And I said, well, I can relate to, to Tom and that he'll probably like that. Cause we've been same situation. I can say, Tom, you know, what's crazy is I, I have a friend. He's one of my very, very close friends and he has cerebral palsy and I'm about to see him on Thanksgiving. It's one of my favorite opportunities to get to see him. And, and, you know, when we pulled Saddam out of the, the, the hole and I had all these prisons. I had the ace of spades uh, sign his deck of cards, right? And then my friend needs cerebral palsy, but he has, he loves blackjack. And I gave him this and it meant so much to him and see how we're similar. You, you don't care. It's not that you don't care. It's just, that's me and my movie. Your movie, I want to know. And I'm not making this up. It's not that I don't want to know why Matthew wanted it. I know my movie. I'm bored with my movie. I don't know your movie. I think it's cool. Right? When you you all told me, what does lean in mean? No, or listen, it says lean in. Be interested. You cannot be interested if we're only thinking about our movie. I'm saying there's a difference between being nice. There's a difference and just wanting it. We do. Your people on this call, they want it. They don't make mistakes because they don't care. It's how do we get on their stage? You know, one of the questions that I'd, I'd love to ask you, just kind of come full circle back to your, your story. Did you always see yourself as being a good listener? I mean, even prior, prior to you know, this situation that you, you told us all about as an interrogator. I don't think I was always a good listener, but I feel one of my strengths is the ability to self-critique without beating myself up. I want people like me, right? I want to build relationships. So if I would talk to somebody, I'm like, I don't think they want to talk to me anymore. First of all, I didn't go, well, they're a jerk. And second of all, I didn't go, nobody likes you. I get it. That, that's what you, those common feelings. But it's like, wait a second. What could I have done better? What did I say? And then I try to backtrack. And well, I said this. And, hmm. and it's just a fun way to grow. Don't make, don't beat yourself up. Don't blame other people. It's a fun way to grow. So shoot, I make mistakes in listening all the time. I drop, I miss breadcrumbs. What are you going to do? Pick up the next one. Eric, we could go on talking <laughs> for such a long time. Um, again, your story is riveting. We are. It, it, we are very interested in your story. Very curious. Uh, because it it's just it's so powerful it, it had your story made a very big difference in the world and you know changed helped to change the course of history it, uh, it but the fact is that you're continuing your story and being able to none sh- to share it and to help us all to realize how we can find the breadcrumbs we can identify them we can pick them up we can ask about them 
how we can walk onto other people's stages, you know, walk into their world, and how we can build trust. All of those things um, are extremely significant. And we just want to thank you today for sharing these things with us and with our listeners. Um, we've, we continue to learn, and we hope that they will too, that our listeners will learn too, as, as, as we all, you know, to, to try to form better relationships. That's what we're about. And we know that's what you're about too. So thank you for being with us and for everything you've shared today. I appreciate that. And to everybody listening, I will just tell you, the fact that you're watching this says you're interested in becoming a better listener. I'm just going to tell you, in my assessment, there is no better strength. There's no better quality skill set that anyone can have than to be an empathy-based listener, period. And we'd love to quote you on that. We really, we really appreciate that because we we believe it wholeheartedly too. Quote me on anything I've said today. It's yours. It's on record. Well, thanks again for tuning into today's episode. We mentioned this in the introduction to today's program that there may be some gaps for you. In, in some of Eric's story that he talks about. And again, we're going to just try to, to link this episode to some other previous podcasts that Eric has participated in. But his story is just so riveting. And he's learned so much about what it means to listen at a higher level. We hope that uh, there are some strong takeaways that you have. If you have any questions for us, please don't ever hesitate to reach out. We love to have a dialogue with you, our listeners. One of the things that we don't ask you as our listeners to do often, but we're going to do it today, is if, if you find these episodes to be helpful, think of five people in your sphere of influence that you could share these episodes with. Every time that Michael and I listen to other podcasts, that's one of the first things that we always do is, is who in, in our networks would like to hear a certain episode of another podcast that we might listen to. And so that just helps to grow our audience. It helps to get these these programs in in more and more people's ears so thanks again for tuning in today and if you're interested in learning more about eric and his story you can go to eric maddox e-r-i-c-m-a-d-d-o-x.com and uh, you'll be able to learn more about him and his fascinating fascinating uh story and life um we're grateful that you joined with us today for those of you who might be interested, uh, on Thursday, uh, December the 2nd, we will be um, playing a special game called Cozy Juicy Reel uh, with uh, our last podcast guests, uh, the game that they created, and with one of our special friends, Benjamin Mathis, who has founded uh, the listening movement um, Urban Confessional. And if you, uh, you can go to our website, it's someone2tellitu.org to learn more about that and to sign up to join in. We hope that we hope that you can. So once again, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for taking listening very seriously and for you know, being part of the community in this world who believes in listening and its transformative power for all of our lives. So until we listen again. <laughs>